The Holistic Counseling Podcast is part of the practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Behind the Bite, Full of Shift, and Impact Driven Leader, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm Chris McDonald, your host, licensed therapist and expert in holistic counseling. Do you hate your guts? If you have some form of ongoing episodic or chronic digestive issues that disrupts your life, or if you have clients that do, this episode is for you. Let me introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Jennifer Franklin. Dr. Jennifer Franklin is an experiential, relational, somatic, and mindfulness-based psychologist with about 20 years of psychotherapy experience and an educational background in mind-body holistic psychology, which makes her perfect for this podcast, right? She worked at the UNC Center for Functional GI and Motility Disorders in Chapel Hill and specializes in healing functional medical problems, especially disorders of gut-brain interaction like IBS, along with issues associated with anxiety, panic, interpersonal relationships, attachment, and trauma. She helps clients to heal and find relief from ongoing digestive issues. And this episode, we'll be talking about what are the disorders of the brain-gut, how she treats them, and about the mind-body connection. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jennifer. Hi. We're so glad you're here. And as I was telling you before we hit record, I didn't even know that this existed, that somebody is able to treat a lot of these mind-body issues that happen with the gut. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> as a holistic psychologist, I was like, this is so cool. I'm glad you know now, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad I reached out to you to let you know. And I'm, so, I'm sure so many listeners don't either that this is actually something we could refer to or maybe even learn more about to put into treatment practice. You know, this is just so exciting to find this other realm of psychology. I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited to be here yeah. and share more. Let's get started with what kind of training did you undergo to become a holistic mind-body psychologist? Interestingly, I didn't actually set out to become a holistic no. <laughs> mind-body psychologist. No, I just wanted to study psychology. And by the time I applied to graduate school, I already understood that there was a powerful relationship between the mind and body from my own personal experience. And so when I was applying to graduate school, you know, this was, you know, in 98, I, it just didn't make sense to me to go to a traditional school for psychology that was not at all going to talk about the body. And so that really narrowed the pool of choices. And I ended up at a really small graduate school in Northern California that was talking about the body and was teaching psychology from a more mind-body perspective. And so that's where my training began. And my, my graduate program was also highly experiential so that everything we talked about as an approach, we practice on ourselves. Isn't that great? It was. So that we were doing a lot of our own work from the get-go, just every step of the way, we had constant opportunities to work on ourselves and work on our relationships. And then, you know, lots of writing assignments included a component of self-inquiry and self-reflection. We were constantly being given opportunities to engage in our own different experiences from a place of curiosity. 
mindfulness was a big part of you know, mindfulness in learning meditation. We were practicing meditation at the beginning of every class every day. So mindfulness was a huge part of the philosophy. We were doing essentially learning to relate to each other mindfully. And then, you know, part of the graduate program was physical disciplines like yoga and martial arts. And really? Then, wow. Yeah. That was, I did a year long yoga class, year long Aikido class. These were integral parts of the program and the training. And it was taught in a different way than you would get yeah. at a yoga class. It was taught, you know, they, they actually taught us the philosophy of these things as well. And then it was a lot of self-inquiry as we engaged in the experience of yoga and the experience of practicing Aikido. Art therapy, you know, we, were, we had exposure to art therapy and a whole bunch of humanistic, existential, phenomenological mindfulness-based experiential and somatic approaches. So like it was really a smorgasbord for me. Yeah. It sounds like it touches on so many parts of you holistically. That, and it's so cool how experiential I think is so important for learning. Yeah. It was an entirely experiential learning program. And it was, I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't gone to graduate school there. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know that I would be, I, I don't think I would have healed and recovered personally. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would be specializing in what I specialize in. Sure. Yeah. And, that, and I've never heard of the martial arts as part of an integration. So that's even more using the body, isn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, a lot of, you know, those, those kinds of practices are also have a contemplative component. So it's really mind, body, spirit, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share your personal experience with recovering from chronic IBS? Sure. I'm happy to share some and... I just want to say that in sharing my story, I, I just want to acknowledge that healing is very specific to each person. So each person has his or her, their own healing journey that each of us needs to go through in order to get where we're trying to get. And so my healing journey is not going to be somebody else's, but mine began back when I was 15 years old. And that's when I started having really acute symptoms. It actually, I had symptoms even way before that, that I, you know, just thought were normal and they weren't really a problem, so to speak. And when I was 15, I started having more acute symptoms and was referred to a gastroenterologist. What I didn't know at that time was that my gastroenterologist was actually one of the more progressive gastroenterologists. And he also had really excellent bedside manner. He was kind, gentle, and understanding. You know, I met with him a few times over the course of a year. He ran some diagnostics and officially diagnosed me with IBS. And at that time, I don't think they were really giving antidepressants to kids. I don't, I don't think they were doing that. They were really prescribing a lot of different medications to children for depression, anxiety, or, you know, IBS. Yeah, okay. So I was kind of left with muscle relaxants that I was told to take when I had an episode. And for me, it would start with pain. And, you know, I started using that when I needed to, but it didn't, it didn't really stop the problem from happening. And so that was it. And then the only other thing he said is he gave me the recommendation to start seeing a psychologist and he gave me a referral to one. And I didn't like that suggestion. It did not make me feel comfortable. And so I didn't, I didn't do anything with that. But another year went by and I had really worsening symptoms and I was pretty debilitated at the end of that year. And so I was so desperate and it was only in the desperation that I reached out to the psychologist he'd recommended. And I started weekly psychotherapy. And after one year, 
of weekly psychotherapy and no other changes to my life, my situation, no other additional treatments. I got about 50% better just from that. And just I from wasn't, that. yeah. And I wasn't even talking about my symptoms at all. I just talked about my life, my relationships, my thoughts, feelings, experiences. So just from doing that, I got about 50% better. It's hard to quantify, but the bottom line is I went from being debilitated, like missing days and days of school, being in agonizing pain, having these episodes that kept me up all night to being able to go to school. And I, I mean, I didn't have any of those really acute episodes after that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big difference, but I still, I still was managing some, I'd say mild to medium IBS symptoms that would come and go. So it wasn't gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest of my healing happened when I was in graduate school because, because of that experience of having a year of psychotherapy makes such a profound difference in my physiological symptoms. Then when it came time to apply for graduate school, I just couldn't go to a school that wasn't going to talk about the body. So then I ended up at the school I ended up at and I wasn't trying to heal. I really wasn't like <laughs> after I, after I was functional again, you know, after the year of psychotherapy, I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. I didn't expect to get any better than that because nobody ever gave me any reason to believe that I could heal or completely recover. So I just didn't even think it was possible. You know, in graduate school, I was being exposed to all these things. I was learning all these things and I started tinkering with the things that I was learning with myself. And then there were aspects of my healing process that probably were not conscious. You know, I just kind of was experiencing things more passively and those things really made a difference for my nervous system and my body. If you had asked me 15 years ago, how did you recover? I would have said, oh, well, it's mindfulness. You know, I started sitting in meditation and that, that did it for me. But now that I know everything that I know, I, I don't think that was it. It was a lot of different things. I was going to say, isn't there multiple layers of things that you did? Yeah, definitely. And some of them were more passive. Some of them were more active. I mean, some of them, it was, okay, I'm going to try this thing in this moment and see how that works. And then I would get an effect that told me, oh, that made a really positive, you know, that, that helped, <laughs> that helped. Yeah, wow. That yeah. works. But you know, that was a more active thing. There were many things that were less active than that. And some of them were a longer process. Like I, like sitting in meditation, you know, it didn't work instantly. It over time taught my nervous system how to do something different. And that's it, isn't it? Over time, you can't do it just once and be like, it doesn't work. Yeah. 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 Healing from something like IBS or anxiety that's been there a long time, lots of more chronic conditions. It's, it's typically not overnight. It's, it's a process. That yeah. doesn't mean it has to take as long as it took me to heal, but you know, that's part of why I do the work that I do is that I didn't have any kind of guide. I didn't have anybody like me to help me back then. So I was all on my own to figure this stuff out. And one of the things I love about my work now is, you know, I get to make this process more expedient for people. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> you went that. through it. Right. Yeah. And that's that's true. I never thought, I never heard that you could even recover from IBS. I thought that was chronic condition that you're stuck with the rest of your life. Yeah, but that's what most people hear. That's what most people believe. That's what most of the doctors convey, whether it's explicit or implicit. Here's some medication um, and just deal. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And there's a huge gap between what medicine is 
teaching to physicians, like Western medicine and that whole model. And, you know, there's a big divide between that and more Eastern mind-body kinds of models. So absolutely. Yeah. Totally get that. I know when I was reading your website too, and you talk about DGBIs, I, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that was a, a term. So disorders of the gut brain interaction. So can you share more of what that means? Yes. And don't feel bad about not having heard of that. Because <laughs> I was like, how did I not know this? <laughs> because it's a, actually a new Is it? name. Okay. It's a new name for what used to be called functional gastrointestinal oh, okay. disorders or FGIDs. And maybe you haven't heard of that either, but it doesn't matter. Basically, there's a there's a large category of what we could say are mind-body kinds of illnesses or chronic problems, or we could say there's another term called stress illnesses, but they have for many years been called functional medical problems, which refers to basically a whole host of physiological symptoms or conditions that are not caused by any kind of disease or organic dysfunction. And so if doctors don't find anything, you know, anything organically wrong with the body, then they might diagnose one of these other things. So functional gastrointestinal disorders was, you know, a cluster of digestive disorders that fell into that category of functional medical problems. But today they've changed the name from functional GI disorders to disorders of gut brain interaction because they understand that these problems are more a function of, you know, the gut brain axis and the, the communication between the gut and brain not going so well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's very interesting. Why do you think, why does psychology matter in the treatment of the gut then? Why, why do you bring that into it? The gut, the gut brain axis, which we usually talk about the vagus nerve when we talk about the gut brain axis, the vagus nerve is part of the nervous system that allows your brain and gut and, and actually your brain and other digestive organs as well to communicate. And so there's constant bi-directional, like in other words, from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut, although most of the communication is from the gut to the brain or the digestive organs to the brain. And so there's always this communication happening in our bodies. And this, there's a lot of information that's constantly being transmitted about what's happening in our bodies. And so if we're talking specifically about DGBIs, then we need to focus on the communication between the gut and, you know, and the digestive organs. And these messages primarily from the gut to the brain are essentially helping our brains to survive by maintaining homeostasis in the body and by coordinating digestion, given what's going on within the environment in the body and outside the body. That's how we're wired. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty complex. So our psychology, as you know, affects us generally in so many ways. Right? Our beliefs, attitudes, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, desires, wants, needs, impulses, urges, and behavior all have an effect on our everyday, every moment functionality. Right? How we feel, think, do, and relate both to ourselves, our bodies, our symptoms has a huge role in either helping us to feel better or helping us to feel worse. And is this the only factor at play? No, but it's a big factor. And in my opinion, it's one of the most important factors involved in DGBIs because it's a, a variable, like a lot of these variables, right? These are feelings, thoughts, perception, all of that, all of that stuff are variables that we can actually influence. That we can influence. Yes. Wow. 
So who knew, huh? Right. Well, I did. You did. <laughs> Not everybody else. <laughs> That's why you're well, here. Well, I mean, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of us realize that our thoughts are powerful and that right. I mean, we can't just willy-nilly control these some of these things and change these things. You know, some things we have more control over than others. Some things we have more True. influence mm-hmm. over than others, right? We don't consciously control our digestion. So the idea that we control our digestive symptoms is hogwash. We don't control digestion. How are we going to control the symptoms that we're experiencing as a function of digestion? Okay. Right. So I try not to contribute to this whole idea of controlling our IBS symptoms. I'm not interested in helping somebody to control their symptoms because I don't believe that that's something that I can do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think that that's something any of us can do, but we can influence our digestion by working with the parts of ourselves that we really do have more control over. And that influence can be very powerful if we keep influencing it in the ways that are going to be helpful. So we don't just do it one time, we influence it. And then maybe we get a tiny little shift in the right direction. And then we just keep influencing that. And that adds up to a big response over time. So over and over that helps with healing. Yeah. A lot of repetition. We try one little thing, one little shift, see how that works. And if it works even a little bit, I mean, there's a lot of different things here to this because you have to be able to track a shift. And a lot of times the kinds of patients I work with, they're, they're not necessarily able to track things in a really subtle way. So we have to help bring that on board, the ability to actually see things clearly, to be able to notice the things that they're experiencing in their bodies so that they can track these little shifts that can occur. So they're not as tuned into those signals. Right. Because they're tuned off. Oftentimes they're tuned into the signals of pain and distress and discomfort and the things that aren't making them feel good. Because guess what? That's what our brains do, right? When there's a stressor, when there's a threat in our environment, whether it's in our internal environment or our external environment, our brain zooms in on the threat to try to survive. And that threat are our symptoms. So then we get more focused. We get almost myopically focused on the symptoms that are not making us feel very good. And then we feel helpless to stop them. And then we feel out of control And then we feel frustrated. And then it leads to a cascade of unpleasant psychological and worse physiological symptoms. So we've got to move out of that whole stuck pattern and move out of that honing in and zooming in on the unpleasant symptoms and focus on something else that's going to help us to feel better so that we can get our brains to not be under the grips of stress, basically. Uh, it seems like there's a, a strong correlation too with anxiety and trauma and depression. So they're all connected to gut health too, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, all, you know, for some people, gut symptoms show up when they're feeling anxious. And some people, there's a huge correlation between anxiety, trauma, depression, and gut symptoms. And what order that happens in is, it's a question of awareness, really. You know, for me personally, I I like to use myself as an example. For me, you know, if you would ask me when I had my most acute symptoms, are you feeling anxious? I would have said, no, absolutely not. Because I was just generally anxious as a person. (laughs) I was just 
<laughs> and and I had, and had I had already I, I had always leaned on that anxious end of the continuum, and so or was that your normal? That was my normal, exactly. I, I it's not like that was a change for me, so it's hard to see something that you've been living with for so long or that creeps up on you so slowly you can't even really track it. So you know the first hint that something was going on with my body that needed my attention were the IBS symptoms. And this happens frequently. I see, I see other patients that experience this as well. But if we really start to look at the whole picture, often there are precursors. Often there is an uptick in anxiety or depression or digestive symptoms that were kind of low level and not really huge problems. This is part of what I mean by moving away from this very honed in perspective that's very focused on the threat at hand, which are the most acute symptoms that, that a person is living with that they want to go away so that they can resume living their lives, right? And so part of my work is helping people to shift out of that way of thinking by helping their nervous systems to move out of this really stuck pattern of high level of stress. Because if we can shift out of that more stress fight or flight state, uh, or worse, if it's freeze, right? Yeah. If we can move out of that into a more regulated state where there is more ease, there is more flow, there's more capacity to for relationship or connection, then people pretty readily feel better. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And then once they feel better and they can stay in that more regulated state, then their brain mindfulness starts to come online. More faculties in the brain that were hijacked by stress start to come online. And those are the faculties that we want to come online because they bring a different perspective. They're a much more expansive perspective of being able to see whole picture, be able to settle, to be able to think more clearly. And then there becomes the possibility of moving into a different way of relating to the symptoms and a different way of approaching things, a different conversation, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And as a holistic psychologist, so how do you treat these disorders? So is it, how is it different than regular talk therapy? I don't know that it's always different from regular talk therapy. I guess to answer that question accurately, I think we have to make sure that we have the same definition for traditional talk therapy. How, how would you define traditional talk therapy, Chris? It's more of a top-down approach, isn't it? Just using verbal skills, the frontal part of the brain, just using CBT. To me, that's more talk therapy and not using uh -huh. the somatic experiencing. I know that you use some of that, right? And yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I would agree with what you're saying, with the definition you're offering. My background's is such that I don't, I don't know if I was ever really trained in, in just traditional talk therapy. I think I understand it more or less the way that you do that. It's kind of, well, I guess the way that I would define it is that it, my experience is that it gives patients room to talk about what they want to talk about. And often that ends up being kind of the problem du jour or the problem of the week. They come Crisis in, of the you, week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah exactly. We call them cows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crisis of the week. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the therapist kind of just supports yeah. working through that and listening empathically, but there's a lot of room given to them bringing in that problem of the week and, or problem or crisis. And 
I have not found that approach to be helpful. And so my aim is to really think about big picture. You know, where are we and what are we trying to accomplish and how are we going to get there? And all of the things that I have to assess in order to help us get there. And so, yes, my training approach and orientation is fundamentally holistic and experiential. And, you know, I'm really thinking in my mind at many moments, you know, what does this person need as a unique individual in the world in order for their body to feel better? What would make a profound difference in their life? What has this person not experienced ever or had enough of in their life such that if they were to have this experience, it would drastically change the trajectory of their intrapersonal and interpersonal neurobiological experience? But that's a great question, though. What is it that they haven't had or what do they need more of? Right. What unmet needs are still waiting to be satisfied such Mm. that impact their psychological and physiological experience? And that's what I'm most focused on at all times, that question. I'm constantly assessing for that. However, I'm not doing it by peppering people with a lot of questions because depending on the level of awareness somebody comes in with, they're not necessarily going to be able to answer those questions for me. You know, it's a matter of kind of chipping away layer by layer and helping get to, you know, it's like there might be an obvious unmet need. They might come in and say, this is what I need. And then once we satisfy that, then there's often more needs underneath that that get revealed over time. So that's kind of the way that I think about it and the way that I'm working with people, which I think is a little bit different. And I also I should is. also mention, I think yeah. one of the biggest differences is that I learned to be really directive. That doesn't mean that I'm directive all the time or even every session, but I do tend to have a more directive approach because I'm not, I'm not interested in helping somebody to perpetuate patterns in their life in any way that are not helpful and that are continuing to play out and not be helpful. (laughs) The sooner I can help to disrupt those patterns and introduce something that might feel better, I'm going to do it. Because I can see how traditional talk therapy, that therapists might get stuck in that cycle of allowing the client to ruminate. Right. And just get stuck in that pattern of thinking, oh, I have this pain in my gut and that's all I can think about and feeling depressed about it and just getting stuck and not getting anywhere. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not interested in contributing to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my goal is how do I not contribute to that? (laughs) Yeah. What needs to happen in order for us to do something different that's going, yeah, to break that. That's, that's going to be well tolerated. That's going to be well received. That's going to feel good. Mm -hmm. That's going to truly feel good to them where they go. You know, even though I might be disrupting their process of talking or their narrative, or I might even truly interrupt them, even though I do that, what's going to help them to actually be on board with that? They're going to go, wow, you know, I'm kind of like on some level, I'm kind of glad you did that. I'm kind of yeah, glad you interrupted true. me. <laughs> exactly. But that, I would think that's the only way to take them out of that, to lead towards that path to healing and find other ways that can help based on what they need. On some level, yes. I mean, that's my job is to disrupt these patterns of communication between the brain and gut. And sometimes I'm more directive about it and sometimes I'm less. It just, I find myself doing very different things with different people because they're different. And so, you know, I even use different language. You know, I find myself yeah. using certain vernacular with some people and other 
vernacular with other people. I don't have to think about it. It just happens. So yeah, it's very individualized and tailored yeah. the way that I... I think it's a judgment call with clients too, kind of getting that feel for who they are and what might help them. Yeah. And it, at this point, it's become much more intuitive. So I've been doing this long enough that sometimes I really don't have to think about it. I kind of just, just do go. It. go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just, I just do. <laughs> okay. Very good. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners that might be just starting their holistic journey? When you say holistic journey, do you mean they're... Just learning s- about different holistic strategies. And- gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know. I, I think that's a hard one for me. I think there's so many different modalities out there. There's of so course. many different Yeah. So I think, you know, every practitioner has to do some exploration and and figure out what has meaning for them and what feels yeah. authentic for them and what feels like a good next thing to learn or try and and just, you know, follow their own intuition, follow their gut, follow their interests. Follow their gut, really. Yeah, and see see where it leads. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just not jumping on the bandwagon of the latest, everybody's doing EMDR, I'm going to do that. But really figuring out what is best for you. Just like you said with clients, we're all individuals and what may work for someone else may not work for you. Yeah. Really looking at that. No, I think that's great to find something with meaning. Yeah. As a therapist, I think it's really important that we model authenticity And I think that's what so many of our patients struggle with is just being authentic in the world, being authentic with themselves, being authentic with other people. And so if we're choosing a path for our learning and our training that feels authentic to us, it doesn't feel like we have to put on um, a hat or put on an act or or play a role. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if the more that we can settle into our seat you know, in the room and to really be in our bodies and to be at ease in our bodies and to be at ease in our relationships with our patients or clients, whatever word you want to use, the more we model authenticity and, and truly being at ease. I think that's what helps clients lead to healing too. Absolutely. Because they can sense it too, if you're not being authentic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if, even if it's not being talked about explicitly, that's what's playing out in the room, nervous system, the nervous system. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, it gets in the way of healing for sure. So what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? I have a website that's devoted to my specialty area. It's don't hate your guts. That's why I started the intro. Mm -hmm. I just love that name. That is just the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I have, I have a couple of webinars. I have a five part webinar series for patients. Certainly therapists can take it if, or other practitioners can take it if they want a more slowed down, really solid learning experience. There's some repetition built in and it's, it's kind of in digestible chunks, but I created that for patients and for therapists because a lot of therapists work with the kinds of patients I specialize in treating and, and I'm not, you know, I'm one person. And so I'm not able to consult with more than, you know, more people than my schedule will allow. So I created this webinar series so that therapists can have their patients watch the webinar series and then come into therapy with a greater sense of how to make therapy work for them so that they're less likely to engage in these kinds of patterns of talking about the problem du jour and being focused on some of the things that are not so helpful to focus on. So it's kind of my way of helping therapists to helping like translate what I do 
for other therapists and for patients so that they can get educated and then they can come into therapy with you and say, okay, this is what I really need to be focused on. Or I watched this webinar series and these things really spoke to me and I really want to focus on these things. Yeah, that's so helpful. I thought it would be helpful and I hope that it is. And then I also have a webinar, a two-hour webinar for practitioners like you, Chris, and other listeners, and they can get CE for it. But it's just, it's two hours and it's kind of an easy, quick intro into how I work. So that could be helpful too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. This was so informative. I feel like we could talk for a long time. (laughs) There's so many, like you said, so many different areas, avenues we can go down with this. Yeah, it's a really big area and I really could talk for several days. (laughs) And I I kind of did in my webinar series. I tried to put some of it into my webinar series. It was five hours of material and there's so much more. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm working on the next part right now, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully that'll be out soon. Excellent. I want to thank my listeners too for continuing to support the show. And here's a friendly reminder. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care and have a great day. If you're loving the show, will you rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? We just started this and that helps other people find this show. Also, if you're feeling uncertain about your modalities and you want to build your confidence to be your unique self, I want you to join my free email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor, over at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com. In my Becoming a Holistic Counselor course, you'll get tips for adding integrative care into your practice, what training you need and don't, and the know-how to attract your ideal holistic clients. If this sounds like the direction you are headed, sign up at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.